stand, please. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for all that our eyes have seen this morning of the work of Your Holy Spirit in leading us to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the far corners of the world, in Bolivia, in Brazil, in Kazakhstan, in Russia. And we do pray that You will bless us here so that the light that shines the brightest far away may shine right here at home reaching minds and hearts for thee. Help us today as we look into the life of our blessed Lord and see his great victory over the evil one to be our victory too. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you will speak to us this day, showing us how to allocate our priorities so that we seek first your kingdom, take no wrong roads, and honor you through our lives. Bless these gifts and use them to the praise of your glory. Amen. <clears throat> In your copy of the bulletin, there is printed our text for today, and I'll try to work through it as quickly as possible. Um, there are important lessons for us to learn here. These young people who have come back from Bolivia, Sean and I were talking early this morning about how the devil tries to challenge the experiences that we have with God in which he speaks to us. And here the Lord Jesus himself, at the very beginning of his ministry, is driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he is tested. Here he goes into an onslaught of the enemy. He comes out of that onslaught victorious. He comes out teaching us lessons that we should learn that God and God alone is first in our lives. We must be obedient to Jesus Christ. At the very end of his life, he will go into the Garden of Gethsemane and Satan again will seek to tempt him. Satan tempts through pain, and Satan tempts through pleasure. Now most of us here do not have to worry about some of the grosser sins. We're not going to kill anyone. But Mark Twain made a good observation. I've been thinking about him this week with the focus on the Mississippi. He said that in his whole life he had never killed anyone. But he said, I have to confess that I have read some obituaries with a great deal of satisfaction. <laughs> so there is a seed of evil that's in us all. Now the voice of God was still ringing in the ears of Jesus. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And then immediately the Holy Spirit takes him into the wilderness. Let's read the text. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds 
out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, and he stood him on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, You are the Son of God. Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, On the other hand it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory and said to him, All these things will I give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. Now then, let's go back. He is hungry. He has fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Moses and Elijah fasted for a 40-day period before they set out upon their great ministry. And here the Lord Jesus has fasted for all of this time and had been tempted during all of this time. But then the devil really concentrates when he is the hungriest right at the end of the fast. Jesus had been thinking about the establishment of his kingdom, the carrying out of what his father called him to do as you and I should be thinking this morning, how can I live the Christian life more effectively? How can I see conquered in me those impulses to lust and greed and evil? How can I see produced in my life not the fruits of the evil spirit, but the fruits of the Holy Spirit of God, the love, the joy, the peace, the gentleness, goodness, meekness, self-control, patience, temperance. All of these things we need to go for for God. So the tempter comes to Jesus when he is hungry, and he says to Jesus, look at these little stones on the ground. Doesn't that look like a little biscuit that your mother would make? Doesn't that look like a piece of bread? You know, he just got through saying, God did, that you are the son of God. If you really are the son of God, you shouldn't be hungry. You ought to just touch this stone and turn it into bread and eat it. Very human temptation. Tempted in the flesh. The desire of the eye. The desire of his body crying out for food. The temptation to doubt God because you're in trouble. Think of all those people in the Mississippi River Basin who are looking today at levees and wondering if the levees, which are built only to restrain water for a short period of time, become so saturated that they break and great loss of life would ensue. When you think of those people who are devastated 
Can you really say, is God looking out for me? Is he really good? Why is all my life swept down this river, the things that I've worked for? But he teaches us that the things of this world are not to be that for which we should work. Jesus was always saying that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things that he possesses. He always taught us in seeking the right road to the kingdom to seek first the kingdom of God. What do you really seek first in your life? Do you seek God's rule over your life? Or are you dazzled by the world and go after what the world calls life? The beer commercial that you only go around once, so you take what you can get. That's not what Jesus is teaching. That's not what he taught us. That's what the tempter will teach you. But Jesus tells us to seek first his kingdom. The reason he wants us to seek first his kingdom is that he knows how pervasive that going after the world can become. This week, uh, down at my house, we've been opening the sliding glass doors to try to get in some uh, air to cool us off from outside. And uh, we tend to leave the screen open, and so I noticed flies coming in. And I asked my wife, why don't you get some fly paper? And I was looking at where we usually hang fly paper. And a poor, dumb little fly, he comes sailing around and hits that fly paper. And he gloats and says, this is my flypaper. But the flypaper says back, this is my fly. You're gone. Well, this is the way the devil does. He suckers us into his net. He puts us in the quicksand of sin and he sinks us. If you're the son of God, command that these stones become bread. He says to the church, the really important thing for you to do is to give all your attention to the social gospel. Don't think about the world to come. Don't think about judgment or sin or repentance or true faith in Jesus Christ and holy living. Put those things aside. What we should do with the resources of the church is to turn these stones into bread. We are to feed the multitude. I remember seeing Dr. Nelson Bell from this very platform speaking here one day in a, a, a wonderful appeal for missions in which he told of a lighthouse that was on the shore of a rocky coast. And that house cast beams of mercy out at a turbulent sea so that the sailing vessels that came could see far off that they were getting close to shore and would hit the rocks and be smashed to pieces. And then Dr. Bell said that there was a keeper in the lighthouse who one day was approached by a widow and she said, I need some oil because the lamps are going out in my house. Can't you, you have all this oil here, why don't you spare me a little of the oil? And the keeper of the lighthouse gave her some oil. Then someone else came with also a good, not a bad, but a good reason for asking, I need oil, I need oil, I need oil, until all of the oil was gone out. And the lamp in the lighthouse went out. And then a huge ship with many souls on board smashed into the rocks in the darkness, and everyone was drowned. 
because the foolish lighthouse keeper gave all the oil away. He didn't stick to his one primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to preach and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. We will do all the good that we can, but the world won't live by our being the bread man. Communism proved that royally. It won't work. Man does not live by bread alone, said Jesus. He lives by doing the will of God, by obeying every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city. And he stood him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He will give his angels charge concerning you. And in their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. The devil says first, God doesn't really care about you. You're not really his son because you're hungry. Now do it my way. Turn the stones into bread. Jesus will not listen to Satan. And so Satan says, well, I've got a scripture. There is a verse in Psalm 91 that's that God will bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now, if you are the son of God, prove it. Jump down from the highest peak in the temple and come floating down and all this crowd of people will see you and be razzle-dazzled and they will say, well, truly, this is the Son of God. You remember that's what they said to Jesus when he was nailed on the cross. The Pharisees and some of the rulers of the people chanted at him, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross and we'll believe you. But he did not. He obeyed God. Jesus is not going to believe that because he is going through hardship that he has been deserted by God. And he is not going to be presumptuous and foolish and tempt God. He is going to obey God. And he says to Satan, you don't quote all you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I trust God. I have faith in him. I'm not proving him. I know him. I can obey him. And lastly, again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain. To me, this is like having a huge satellite dish that shows you all of the kingdoms of the world. And you say, what we need is a one-world religion. Let's take all of the things from everyone's religion. Let's tell people they can do anything they want to. We'll put it in a satellite feed, and all the kingdoms of the world will bow down to you. But first, you bow down to me. Jesus will not follow that example. Instead, he says to the devil, Be gone, Satan. It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God. Him only shall you serve. Years ago, I was a graduate student at Wheaton College. One day I got a call from Leighton Ford who told me that Billy Graham wanted me to do some research for him and to look up some things. I needed to 
have access to a secretary so that I could dictate um, the material that I'd gleaned from the library and I had to go and work after hours there. And Dr. Victor Raymond Edmond, who was the president of Wheaton, saw me. I told him what I was doing. Dr. Edmond said, come and use my office. My secretary will take down what you need and get it typed up and we can get it to Billy. And so I began to work. Dr. Edmond, being around him was just a marvelous experience. So much integrity, so much spiritual strength. He died at the pulpit in Wheaton Chapel. He dropped dead, having come back to visit and to preach in chapel. And Dr. Edmund gave me a poem that I've always loved. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his method, watch his ways, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects, how he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Once in great pain in a hospital, I read those words. And then I turned my Bible over to Romans 8:28, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And realized that God had not forgotten me and what I was going through, and that he would not but that he had purposes to work out that I couldn't see at that time. I certainly didn't feel happy. I didn't feel inspired. I hurt. And what Jesus is saying to us here is trust God. Be faithful to God. Your obedience to God. Honor him. And he will honor you. Let us conclude our worship by singing the hymn that's printed on your bulletin. This is another one of Dr. Edmund's favorites. Like a river glorious, it's this little pink sheet. We'll sing this in closing. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our teacher and our guide, be and abide with us all, both now and forever.